0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm so excited that you're here, and I'm so excited for the amazing guest that we have today, Bobby Sud, who is a love-based animal activist, and he brings such a refreshing, wonderful, and powerful uh aspect, view, approach to to all the activism, and I can hardly wait to bring him on. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Peter Goldstein, founder and chief synergy officer for We Did It. And our vision at We Did It is to help create a healthy, happy vegan world. Our unique role is to empower vegan and plant-based consumers to become even more effective as ambassadors. Imagine, as an ambassador, going through your day and being able to show up with confidence, open doors, and plant even more seeds. So to that end, our work consists of three pillars. One is to learn better interpersonal communication. So it's all about relationships. So we can start those relationships, have that interaction, and we can open the doors. Our second pillar is about the content. So wherever our day takes us, we can present the most appropriate research, information, uh, success stories, whatever it is that, that will help somebody who we're talking to, to come to, to hopeful curiosity. And that's our mission to find people, to bring them to hopeful curiosity and then allow them to see all the amazing leaders, all the amazing people that are in these movements. So, I, and then our third pillar is community. So we're building community so that we can all network and er, interact with, with each other. So we can grow with our passion and support each other, no matter what area, no matter what part of the world and the communities and lifestyle that we serve with our passion. So I'm sure you will enjoy our conversation today with Bobby. Please be sure to post your questions and comments, and uh, the presentation will be for about the first half of of today's session. And then after that, we'll be happy to share your questions and and answer them. And Bobby will be very happy to answer all your questions, concerns, and uh, things that you'd like to share. So please join us on Facebook at the Vegan and Whole Food Plan Based Ambassadors Group. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We did it. That Health on YouTube. Uh, catch us on your favorite podcast. We're also available there. And then, if you're Plan Based and you haven't done this yet, please go to We Did It. That Health and go to the Million Healthy Life scoreboard and answer the simple one-question survey so that we can show the world the impact that plant-based vegan and whole food plant-based people have on our health, on animal compassion and the environment. So with that, I will bring on Bobby Sud here in a second. Uh, His his, uh, passion is about love-based animal activism, and he will talk about the need for love-based activism, the power of bearing witness And, and then I love this one. We all need it is how to avoid burnout. So with that, I will bring Bobby on and welcome Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, would you, uh, I will bring on your slides. I know you have a slide presentation. And, uh, with that, uh, please, please tell us, more about yourself, your work. I know you're a photojournalist and you do some amazing things. You do a lot of mentoring and you're very involved with with, uh, the LA uh, group, your your LA Animal Save and Animal Save Movement. and animal activism mentorship so please share with everybody all, all the things that you're doing and and all the all the things that you have great hope for for a better world
1: thank you yeah so uh, uh, yeah I'm Bobby's side uh, for the last seven years I've been an organizer for la animal save which is a chapter of animal save movement uh, I've also I'm also an animal photojournalist with we animals which is an organization organization run by Joanne MacArthur. Uh, I'm a mentor with Animal Activism Mentorship Program, where we have people that want to learn how to improve their skills as an activist in different areas. And we we partner up as mentors to help them and we do weekly meetings and things like that. And then uh, I'm also a filmmaker and cinematographer. I work mostly with Sean Monson, who directed Earthlings. And uh, I've done projects, right now I'm directing a documentary with Moby, uh, I shot most of the animal footage in his newest film, Punk Rock Vegan, and uh, i worked with organizations like Generation Vegan, which was then Million Dollar Vegan. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you and welcome.
1: Thank you. So, uh, I'll just get started here. So, Bearing Witness uh, comes from a quote by Leo, Tolst- Leo Tolstoy. Uh, which says when the suffering of another creature causes you to feel pain do not submit to the initial desire to flee from the suffering one but on the contrary come closer as close as you can to her who suffers and try to help and that's the basis of animal save movement uh, where we bear witness at vigils you can see here uh, where we meet outside of slaughterhouses and when the animals arrive on the trucks we offer them love kindness compassion uh, water uh, for the first time that they've ever experienced it, at least from a human being. Uh, and that's where my animal rights journey got started. Uh, it was about just over eight years ago when an acquaintance of mine, whose name is Jean-Pierre, uh, who's an incredible human being, invited me to go to a pig vigil run by Amy Jean Davis, the founder of LA Animal Safe, and Sean Monson. And uh, I asked him, I was like, what's a pig vigil? And uh, he didn't really know because this was the first one. But being a filmmaker, I knew who Sean Monson was, and uh, so I agreed to go. And we arrived outside of Farmer John's Slaughterhouse, which is in Vernon, which is just a few miles from downtown LA. And it's the largest slaughterhouse for pigs in this area of the country. And the average group was anywhere between 100 and 200 or more activists that would meet there with water sprayers and their cameras and things like that to offer compassion to the animals. I remember, it was a, I remember it vividly because when I was standing there, it was just a normal day uh, until the first truck came around the corner and brought with it the weight of its reality. And uh, these realities are easier for us to deny when all we have to do is turn off the screen if we're watching a documentary or videos on, on social media because we turn it off and then we're separated from the event by a great amount of distance and time. Uh, And so when you're standing next to a truck filled with 200 six-month-old pigs, only inches away from your face, the truth is presented to you front and center, and all deniability goes away. You can hear them, smell them, you can touch them, the air around them tastes different, Uh, and the important thing is that you go from a place of just knowing of something to knowing it. And in my opinion, that's... Most important for inspiring others to create change, and when I was looking into the time I realized this was a very profound moment for me uh, that I don't know what happens after we die, uh, if there's reincarnation, heaven, afterlife, whatever. Um, what I do know is that I get to be here on this planet as the individual that I am now once. You know, maybe, maybe there's reincarnation, but this individual who I am right now will never come back. I get one chance to create as much love and kindness, connection and purpose as I can in my life before my one chance is over. And when I watched that first truck pull into the slaughterhouse gates, I realized that for those 200 pigs, that was their one chance. And everything changed for me from that moment. And this is why vigils are so important. Uh, because of that undeniable atmosphere, that fight or flight moment that you have for the very first time where you realize, do I want to run away from this? Or do I want to lean into it and accept the reality of things? And it's a hard thing to do because that asks something of you. That asks something of you in terms of what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now that I know it, I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I can't forget it. And the most common criticisms I get about vigils are they're too emotional or psychologically taxing. Uh, we aren't saving animals, which is which is not true because at our chicken vigil, uh, we've rescued over 100 chickens. Uh, they say you're not going to shut down slaughterhouses by standing on the sidewalk, and they say that uh, they're already vegan, so why should I have to go? And it's true we're not going to shut down slaughterhouses standing on the sidewalk, and that's not the point. The purpose of a vigil is the animals on the trucks in front of you. Because the moment you make it about anything other than that, you lose your connection and your effectiveness for what you're doing. If I make it about shutting down slaughterhouses, you know that's just some you know, future event that might happen. So therefore, I'm no longer present. If the resulting actions of what I'm doing shut down slaughterhouses, great, but that's not why I'm there. And vigils are not just about getting non-vegans to become vegan. They're about turning vegans into activists. Because as human beings, our species is supposed to be vegan, right? That's, that's who we are. That's, there's no moral, The moral high ground is not veganism. That just gets us back to zero. That's the baseline. Activism is the high ground. Because with activism, we can help people start creating change also. We, we create the ripple effect. And motivation I think is what's most important. It's gonna kind of take over most of the conversation I think because you know I've been bearing witness at vigils two to three times a week, nearly every week for over six years. I've worked with Sean Monson as a cinematographer for over five years. I filmed in, inside factory farms, inside slaughterhouses and on working kill floors. I've seen more than enough to have every reason to hate, to hate slaughterhouse workers, slaughterhouse owners, farmers, transport drivers, people who hurt animals. And I could choose to make my activism about hate and it would be a reasonable response to my experience. I don't think anyone would say, oh, you don't have a reason to hate them, knowing that I've stood on on the kill floor while they were slaughtering with halal slaughter cows and uh, it being an absolutely traumatizing experience. But if I choose to be motivated by hate, Every action I take would be a reminder of how much hate and anger I have. That's an exhausting world to live in. Instead, I choose to be motivated by love and empathy, how much I love animals, how much I love helping them, saving them, how much I love healing the planet and our environment, helping other people find their health and happiness again, helping them change the way they move through the world with connection and purpose. Where hate is exhausting, love is empowering and inspiring. And I don't believe we'll ever hate enough to create a more kind and compassionate world. That logic doesn't make sense to me. Love gives us something to fight for instead of just something to fight. It's how, we, it's how we make this greater than ourselves. And when I'm motivated by love, every action I take is an affirmation of how much love I have. So if I'm on a kill floor, filming animals being slaughtered, or in a factory farm filming, filming animals suffering, I can say, this is how much love I have. I'm here and I'm able to do this because I love this much instead of I hate this much. And I think that that, I understand that are angry, at least, at least for the first year. It, it happens to all of us. For the first year, I was very angry. But we have to get past that because when we we're angry, we we're making it in some part about ourselves and how we feel about things. And when we go out and do outreach with anger and shaming, what we're doing is sort of, it becomes more of a catharsis for our emotions than it does being effective for animals. And yes, I understand the argument that those things work on some people, but why would you choose something that works on some people when you can choose a more effective approach? And I think that that requires compassion, and understanding. Understanding doesn't mean that you agree with somebody. I can understand your motivation and not agree with you. And I think that we have fallen into a trap of creating a, an elitist image of veganism with a lot of othering. And what I mean by othering is that this idea that we're vegan because we're somehow better or they're not vegan because they somehow lack as much compassion as we do, or they're not capable of loving as much as we are. And that's that's just not true because I'm not vegan, I'm not a good person just because I'm vegan, and I'm not vegan because I'm a good person. Someone isn't vegan because, you know, someone who's not vegan, they're not that way because they're a bad person, you know? Good, bad, evil, just, right and wrong. It would be wonderful, it would be so much easier if the world were that binary, but it's not. It's more complicated and we're more complicated. In fact, those don't even go into the decision-making when people decide that they're gonna eat animal products. 99% of people on this planet that eat animals are doing it for one reason, they believe that they have to. And another interesting thing is that there's probably no other topic that more of the human race would agree on and we should be kind to animals. And this is something that Moby said recently that I found really interesting. He said, with most activism for social change and things, you have to get people to care first, and then they'll change. But what's interesting about animal rights is people already care. We just have to teach them how to change. And that's actually a little more difficult because we hold, if we're doing outreach on the street, we hold no authority. We, we're not a person of authority. We're not an authority figure to these people. And so a stranger on the street who has, since, they can, since as long as they can remember, where every parent or authority figure or doctor or nutritionist has told them, you're a human being, and as a human being, you need to eat animals. You need to eat meat and dairy in order to get protein and other micro and macronutrients to survive. And you believe that, and that becomes part of your identity because it's kept you alive up to this point. And so then you have someone on the street saying you need to stop doing that. It's bad. You know, you're harming planet. It's, you know, it's cruel to animals, but you're just a stranger on the street, right? So we have to understand what we're up against the approach we're going to take. If you shame somebody, if you're doing outreach on the street and someone walks by and they're triggered by your your poster or or what you're saying, and and they say some triggered remark, and you shame them. And I've heard the argument that that is holding people to, you know, holding them accountable. But it's not holding anyone to account, because you aren't following them and holding them accountable for any future actions. You're just a stranger yelling at a stranger on the street. They're going to walk away and either forget about it or if they mention it at all, they'll say, "Oh, yeah, some some person was yelling at me today, but uh, you know, it's no big deal." Those opportunities we have to talk about animal rights, to talk about veganism, to talk about plant-based health, those are rare, right? And we can't we can't screw them up, right? We can't make it personal. We can't take anything that they say personal. We have to take the approach of, "I'm not going to get this person to go vegan right now. What I want to do is get them to listen to me." by creating a space for open discourse to where I can just get a little more dirt off the glass, let a little more light in, create small shifts in consciousness, and hopefully that continues to happen. Because there's this idea that one thing made us vegan, right? Like we you watched Earthlings and you said, oh yeah, I watched Earthlings and Earthlings made me vegan. And when we take that mindset, what you've just done is you've disregarded your entire life experience. Every movie you watched as a kid, Bambi, Dumbo, Babe, you know, every pet you or a friend had, every positive interaction you had with animals, that was all part of it until the last thing, Earthlings. And then you went vegan. Right. So Earthlings wasn't the only thing. It was the last thing. So no one's ever going to do one thing that makes everyone go vegan. It's unfortunately not how it works. And I understand that it's frustrating. And especially if you're new and you've are you you know you've been vegan for only a few months, that first year is difficult because every day you're learning about some new horrible thing that's happening. Every day you're learning about, oh, I didn't know that they were doing this to animals. I didn't know they were doing that to animals. Oh, this is horrible. And so every day you're finding out something else to be angry about. And it's just, I think that, if we can take a more understanding approach. And most people get past that in a year. So, yeah, that's uh, bearing witness and things like that. So
0: Beautiful, that's, that's a wonderful presentation. And, and <laughs> actually, it, um, boy, I get choked up, but listening to you about your experience when that first truck rolled around, it all became real. That, that just—I got choked up listening to you say that. I mean, it's just, just so amazing knowing about it and and really experiencing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and and it, it sounds like you've done it so many times now. For for what five years you're doing you're doing uh, this?
1: Like six
0: and a half years. Yeah. Six and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are there some other experiences in in? In your vigils that that you could share with everybody, and uh, and where where the love came through, where I mean, it's it's so hard to be in these these challenging situations and and be able to be grounded to your love, and that's that's just so beautiful that you do that. So, can you talk a little more about how love comes through at times like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just animal save movement takes a love based approach uh, in as an organization. And what that means is when we're bearing witness at vigils, we have no hate for truck drivers, no hate for slaughterhouse workers. We're not there for them uh, in terms of, we're not there to attack them. We're there for the animals, And we also take the the understanding that animal agriculture does not exist because slaughterhouses exist, and animal agriculture does not exist because truck drivers exist. It exists simply because people want to eat animals. And as long as there is enough demand, it will continue to exist. And, you know, we have to take also the idea, like when we see someone who works in a slaughterhouse, no one grows up wanting to work in a slaughterhouse. That's that's someone who has no options. That is someone who's either an ex-convict, an undocumented uh, person living in this country or, you know, someone just in a very bad situation. And they're taken advantage of as well. Especially undocumented workers in border states like California, Texas, you know, Arizona, where they will hire undocumented workers for six months, make them work ridiculous hours for almost no pay and and with with really unsafe, unsanitary conditions and then fire them so they never have to get them health insurance and then go hire another group. And so we have to understand that animal liberation is human liberation, that these people are victims as well.
0: Wow. Uh, Yes, those are the things that that most people wouldn't think about walking down in their grocery store, walking past all the meat and all that. Oh, wow. Um, So we have somebody commenting saying, beautiful message, never been to an animal vigil. This dialogue now makes me curious to attend one. Well, what, what would you recommend to this person? What?
1: Um... Yeah. So, what you can do is uh, go to animalsavemovement.org, and on our website, you can find out if there's a chapter near you. We have almost a thousand chapters worldwide, uh, and if there is, go and, and you know, go to their website, go to their Facebook page or Instagram page, see what they do, contact them, and I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people and I've been there when people have been the very time, as well as myself but um i've never met anyone who's regretted it uh it's not easy um but take this just understand that it's going to be very difficult emotionally you're going to cry okay that's the most normal reaction you can have those re- those emotional reactions are not proof that something is wrong with you it's proof that nothing is wrong with you those emotional reactions are proof that you're not broken. that's the same that the same goes for all emotional reactions you know no matter how hard it is and uh, don't do anything you're uncomfortable with. you can go to a vigil it doesn't mean you have to go to the truck. you know you can fill people people's water sprayers or you can just stand back. but when things become difficult, I also want you to remember that don't just look at the animal on the truck. take a few moments throughout the vigil to turn around and look at the activists standing with you. Depending on the size of the group, look at the 10, 20, 50, beautiful, compassionate people who are standing there right with you, supporting you, who are going through the same thing you're going through and, can, and will help you through it. We we get this, you know, it's it, it can be lonely being an activist, uh, but it doesn't mean that we're alone. There's, we're certainly not, it's a very, it's the fastest growing social movement in history.
0: Yes, and a very important one. So is that animalactivism.com? Is that?
1: Uh, AnimalSaveMovement.org.
0: Animals Save movement. I'd like to put it up on screen here, .org. Okay, so let me, while I type this in and make sure that I have it spelled right. I'd also
1: like to, just to mention a few things uh, that I think uh, can help people in terms of avoiding burnout, becoming frustrated, and with their outreach. Um, We have to be willing to be honest about other people. Uh, What I mean by that is that I'll see a lot of times I'll see on social media. Someone will put up a post of a group of people at a barbecue or someone eating a burger or whatever and saying, I just can't understand how they can do that. Of course you can. Of course you can. You were doing it a few years ago. Right. When we became vegans, we did not become you know, we did not transition as though we do like say or evolve into an entirely new being. You know, I, I tell people before I was vegan, I was a seventh generation Texan. I grew up on football, boxing, barbecue, and burgers, right? And then when I became vegan, guess what? I'm a seventh generation Texan who likes football, boxing, barbecue, and burgers. It's just vegan now, right? Everything, all of my my ethics and my morals were there already. I, I don't like the idea that if you, when we say if you're not vegan, you don't love animals. That's not true. If I wasn't, if I didn't love animals before I was vegan, I wouldn't be vegan now. Um, the, The things that change when we become vegan are actually a little superficial in terms of, it's really what we consider food, what we consider clothes, some of the language you use, what we consider entertainment and cosmetics and things like that. Everything about me, other than those things, is still the same, you know? And so we have to understand that... You know, that's we can understand people who are are eating animals uh, because we were them. And, you know, but for the flip of a coin, we'd still be them. You know, it's just that they have not been as fortunate as you to have the experiences and interactions that you've had that got you there quicker than than they did. So. Don't make them your enemy. If you're an animal activist, you shouldn't have a single enemy on this planet. If you make animal, you know, if you make slaughterhouse workers or people who are animals or people who eat animals your enemy, all they become is your adversary for life. Because what are you gonna do? They're not gonna disappear. You're not gonna kill them. So you guys are just gonna be standing off against each other forever. You should look at everyone as someone you who you want to be vegan one day. Everyone should be someone you want standing on your side next to you one day. That's the approach that we should take.
0: That's words of wisdom, uh, to be able to look at the world that way and, and not, and in just all, all ways, all aspects, all opportunities. Um, yeah. So animal liberation human liberation, uh, says Laurie. That's really powerful and couldn't agree with that anymore. It's, it's really getting clear to me that. The next, the next evolution in human consciousness is to be vegan. It's, it's where we're headed. It's, you know, and it's amazing how so long ago we used to abuse and mistreat people, and and we still do, but it was so rampant and widespread throughout history, and and we've come well, a long ways.
1: You know, we like to think that we would, you know, in, at different times during different, you know, things that happened, slavery, uh, the Holocaust, whatever. Uh, that we would have behaved differently, that we would have been the righteous people. But the fact is that we are all products of our time, Mm -hmm. right? And so right now people are products of their time, meaning that they are going to eat animals because that's what they're told to do and they create an identity around it. And so I think we're already there in terms of evolving. Like it's, it's not as though people don't care about animals but think about it this way when you get frustrated because someone doesn't want to look at a video. You're like, oh, but you're eating, you should You should see how it's made. If you love animals, which most people do, or at least if you don't want to harm animals, which most people are that way, and you believe you have to eat them, why would you want to look at it? Why would you want to know? I totally get why people don't want to see it. It's no mystery to me, it makes complete sense. And so we have to be able to first, have some understanding of human psychology that our the survival instinct part of our brain has is what most creates our identity of who we are and by identity in survival instincts I'm talking about safety food and reproduction and those things have been for people that have been eating meat for you know their their whole lives eating animals is part of that it has become part of their identity and what they believe has been added to or, you know, promoted the success of where they are today, getting them to where they are. They say, well, I've been doing it this long. You know, it's got me this far. I'm still alive and I feel good, you know, and then you have, you know, toxic masculinity and things like that to where they believe that if they eat meat and that they're more of a man and that will lead to greater success of finding a partner and, and having sex and, and procreation and things like that. So this is all part of it. These are all things you have to work around. And so we like, you're not going to, it does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's, it's extremely rare. You're not going to talk to somebody once and convince them to go vegan. Someone isn't going to change their entire dietary and lifestyle habits simply because you tell them to like, if someone you're talking to is 40 years old, that means they've had at least 40,000 meals in their lifetime. The vast majority of them having animal products. In them. Okay. So that's, Just from their meals, that's 40,000 examples of conditioning against your five to 10-minute conversation, right? Having realistic expectations also helps us avoid burnout. Because if you go out doing outreach going, I'm going to get everyone I talk to to go vegan. How could they not? They're going to agree with me. I'm going to show them. It's going to be, here it is. Here's the truth. But this is not going to happen. And and it's unrealistic to think that it will. And if we had the expectation of just getting someone to listen, getting someone to acknowledge some of the points that we make, that's that's a good day. And, and this is something that someone like Earthling Ed, Ed Winters, does really well, probably better than anybody. In human psychology that if I'm listening to a presentation or I'm watching a movie or I'm talking to someone, and even if I don't agree at all with what they're saying, if I leave liking them, I will continue thinking about what they said longer. And Ed... Spends his, you know, like 80% of his time out, you know, on university campuses, you know, you know, change my mind, animal agriculture is cruel, Change changed my mind kind of things. Has conversations with people from, you know, at Harvard, he's teaching a class at Harvard, to students on the campus of Texas A&M. I have never seen anyone leave the table talking to Ed and didn't, and left thinking, I don't like that guy. And, and, and like, why, why would you want to make an enemy? Because then they're they're gonna put up their walls They're not gonna think about what you had to say objectively. Like if we can be kind to people, if we can remember that, yes, we were trying very hard to get people to understand us, but we can't forget to be understanding as well. I think that we're gonna have better success uh, and and more effective conversations with people. That includes family and friends.
0: Yeah, that's that's beautiful for sure. So do you do you believe that part of what's pushed people away and, and has given vegans such a bad rap with so many people is, is because of those confrontations? And and then to follow up on that, how do we make up for it? Uh
1: I I do believe some activism is has been counterproductive. Uh and I just you know we've been the animal activism, animal rights, protest and activism have, has been going on for 60 years. And for 60 years, basically what we've done is we've grabbed our signs, we've grabbed our chants and our megaphones, we've gone out on the street screaming, what do we want, animal liberation? When do we want it now? Created a space where we're not gonna hear what the other people has to say, we just wanna talk. And I think that we're smart enough to be able to say, it hasn't been that effective. You know, for 60 years, I don't think, I think that we're smart enough to say maybe there's a better way. I'm not saying I know what it is, but I'm saying I'm willing to like talk with people and try and figure out a better approach. You know, but I think that a lot of that comes from one new vegans uh, and it being a very sort of cathartic approach to our own anger you know, we're angry. We want to show people how angry we are. We want, I want you to know how angry I am about all of this. But what that does is you just said, you just made it about me in like three different ways. Like I want you to know how angry I am. You know, I want you to show how how terrible this is and I'm upset about it instead of saying, okay, but when I'm speaking for the, you know, animals that are suffering, what is the best approach? Is it to tell them how angry I am and, and, you know, make enemies of people and, turn people away or is it to do the difficult work because ridicule, and I know I'm gonna, every time I talk about this, I, I, I get some negative comments but the shaming approach, ridicule, there's nothing easier on this planet than ridicule. I don't have to know a single thing about you to ridicule you. The difficult thing is understanding and compassion because it requires us to step outside of ourselves and into another person's life and understand where they're coming from. To be able to to listen to things that are contrary to our worldview, that we don't like hearing, realizing that they are not doing this in in response to me being vegan, that their lifestyle has nothing to do with me, so it's not personal, and then be able to say, okay, yeah, you know what? Before I was vegan, I said some of those things. I use some of those excuses. I understand where they're coming from. Even though I don't like that, I can understand it. And if I'm not willing to, if we're not willing to understand or at least try to understand, have a better understanding of the people that we're talking to and where they're coming from, we're not gonna be able to reach them as effectively. We're not gonna be able to tailor our message for them.
0: Yeah, that, that makes so much sense so what what are some of your favorite ways of reaching somebody of understanding somebody of so so your proactive ways of of connecting?
1: Uh, actually uh, so this happened when this was on a, actually a, uh, a, was a clubhouse when clubhouse was like popular and there was a room talking about the Yulin dog festival and uh, a scientist or a biologist from India. Came in the chat room and he said he was working on trying to reduce the number of stray dogs in India. He was also brave enough to say in a vegan chat room that he's not vegan, that he's mostly vegetarian because he eats, at, you know, he lives in India and he eats a mostly Indian diet. And you know, of course, vegans, some vegans were jumping on top of that, like saying, you know, oh, oh, well, you need, you know, you, you need to go vegan now. And so I, I said, first of all, I would never ask anyone to do anything for their entire life. If we remove emotion from the equation, okay? I I understand that we're all gonna be vegan for the rest of our life, right? But there's emotion involved in that decision. If we remove emotion from that and just pure logic, you can't say you're gonna do anything for the rest of your life because you just don't know what's gonna happen. Again, no emotion, like take all the emotion out of it and just work with pure logic. So I said, it's an unreasonable ask. I'm not gonna ask you to be vegan for the rest of your life. And when you do, remember that when you, when you first started, those first two weeks weren't exactly fun. For most people, they were challenging. Uh, changing our diet, learning to enjoy new foods, they were challenging, right? And so if, we, if you tell someone they have to do this for the rest of their life, and those first two weeks are kind of hard, and they're looking at a road that's 60 years long, they're going to go, oh, no, I, I don't know if I want to do this. So I said, you're a scientist. This guy was a biologist. I'm going to ask you to do a 14-day experiment. Okay, because while asking someone to do something for life is unreasonable, 14 days, like you can ask pretty, someone to do pretty much anything for 14 days. So I said, why don't you adopt an, a whole food, plant-based diet for 14 days? For, no cheating, no cheat days, be honest. <clears throat> and at the end of those 14 days, as a scientist, do a, a honest assessment of how you feel, how those 14 days were, and do you feel the same? Do you feel better? And if you do, Look at the next 14 days as another 14-day experiment. So don't look at your vegan journey as something you're doing for the rest of your life, but a series of 14-day experiments until it becomes something that you want to continue doing. And I think that that is a less, a less scary approach for people. You know, and I, I, I also don't, you know, when people say, "Oh, you need to give it up all now," right? You need to be vegan right now. It's all or nothing. Yeah. Why would you say all or nothing? Why would you give someone the option of nothing when you could say all or something? Beautiful. You know, it's like maybe the person says, okay, I'll give up all dairy, but I'm still gonna eat chicken. And maybe for you, that's not what you want. And maybe you would have been able to give it all up, but they are trying. And they just said that they're gonna, what they're gonna do. There's a reason that we don't ridicule someone who is weak, you know, weak or or overweight, Uh, at a gym. We don't shame people for trying. We should be encouraging them because that's someone who is committing. At the moment, they are committing to something new. And that can be scary. I know it because I used to weigh 300 pounds. I was type two diabetic. I had high cholesterol, heart disease, hypertension, all that. And those things that I was doing that created that in terms of eating a standard American diet, eating fast food, while they were damaging to my health, they did create and bring joy and pleasure into my life. They did. And so when I decided to adopt a plant-based diet, I had to be willing to say, I'm going to give up these sources of pleasure in my life, which are at the time, almost all the pleasure in my life was coming from that. I had to say, I'm willing to give that all up and be very uncomfortable on the gamble that what you're telling me is true and I'll experience pleasure and joy in other ways later on. That's a scary place to be. And we have to understand that that's where they are at that moment. It's uncomfortable. And we have to encourage people who are uncomfortable, not shame them.
0: Beautiful. So I, I'm wondering if the conversation just a little bit differently with rather than giving up with, with replacing. what So what are some of the pleasures that somebody could be replacing those pleasures with so that they're not, necessarily giving up but just just doing something a little different
1: well so that comes uh to things like connection meaning and purpose right so everyone has emotional physical and psychological needs and if you're someone who is morbidly obese like i was who didn't have much of a social life anymore this wasn't who i always was. i was a three-sport athlete all the way through college and then you know things got out of hand Uh, and so my life didn't have much connection. My life didn't have much purpose. I didn't enjoy the work I was doing. I was just staying at home, eating, playing video games. You know, there was not much. There was almost no meaningful connection in my life, right? And when we have emotional, physical, and psychological needs that aren't being met in meaningful ways, we will find those. We will find ways to meet those needs in other ways, which creates things like addiction. You know, uh, sex, gambling. Food drugs, whatever it is right and what we have to and this is important too uh, for the person who chooses that, whatever it is you know drugs alcohol sex gambling for that person that's the best solution they have found to their problem
0: mm-hmm.
1: until until it creates more problems in their life yeah and so what you have to do is replace those with real meaningful connections and real purpose which is easy to find if you become a vegan and an activist meaning and purpose become very apparent, you know, and yes. we do that by creating community that has that do positive action that, you know, has that sort you know, the, uh, what do you call it? You know, where positive action creates uh, more positive action, creates more positive you know, positivity in your life. And that creates self-worth. And when we create mm-hmm. more self-worth, we become worth saving. And when you're worth mm-hmm. saving, you're yourself.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And and that's that's really what we need to find as ways of, of replacing and finding because we all we all want to be satisfied in the best way we can and and to do it with things that, that are of service and certainly being of service and, and and contributing are a very important human need. Um,
1: let Absolutely. me see here. And, and community, community is very important. Uh, this is the only time in human history, uh, there's, a, there's a great journalist, his name is Johan Hari. He's a, a British journalist who did this, He spent his life studying uh, anxiety and depression. And he talks about how just as bees are meant to live in a hive, if you watch a bee who leaves his hive and doesn't come back, that bee dies. Just as bees are meant to live in a hive, human beings are meant to live in a tribe. And this is the first time in human history that we decided to disband our tribes and live alone. And things like mental health have, you know, mental health disorders, depression, anxiety, PTSD, these things have never been higher. This is not working for us. So things like community and connection, those are very important.
0: Wow. That's so true. It's things have have never been so challenging. And, and it is a breakdown of the communities. So, so both of them are are pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. But it's not
1: it's, it's it's hard. It's not easy because. Because that we have grown up in an age where, you know, it's take a pill, you know, quick fixes and convenience that we are almost programmed to say, I will choose what asks nothing of me today. And changing your lifestyle habits, changing your diet, becoming vegan asks something of you right now.
0: And Instead of saying, "Quite well, a lot,"
1: my doctor said, "I could take these cholesterol pills. So I'll just do that."
0: You know. Yeah. yeah, and and unfortunately, there's those never really heal. They just kind of
1: they don't if go you, down. Yeah, if you are taking medication for diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Heart disease, and you change nothing in your life, you will, you will have, you will have a cardiac event. You will suffer from complications due to diabetes. It is a guaranteed; it is going to happen because your the condition will continue to get worse until the medication can do nothing for you. Because mm-hmm. The medication does not treat heart disease, cardiovascular de- disease, diabetes. It allows you to live every day without too much pain. That's all yeah.
0: it does. It, yeah, yeah. I, I I won't forget this commercial I happened to see on TV, and I think it probably plays over and over and over. But it's it's for diabetes, uh, a diabetes I guess monitoring system. So here's this guy in a restaurant, a standard American food restaurant. He he takes a look at where he stands in, at the moment in terms of his insulin or whatever, and and of course, the results come back. Oh, I'm okay right now, so he can just go ahead and, and eat whatever he wants to. So yeah. he'll he'll order all the terrible foods that that will hurt him just because in the moment his his medication is is has him looking looking okay for the moment.
1: Yeah, and it's you know it's it's not his fault. You know, it's not his fault. Yeah, you know, his endocrinologist told him, "Here's your medication. This is what you do for diabetes." Yeah, and this is the this is the levels you want to be in. And if you're in those levels, you're OK. And if you, if you exceed those levels, then you need to try, you know, either will increase your medication or whatever. I guarantee you, my endocrinologist certainly never said you can take this. You can take metformin or you can go shop in the produce section of a grocery store. He never told me that. Right. I don't blame him because medicine is his toolbox. He didn't learn it. He doesn't know it either you know it's it's doctors know very little i happen to be very good friends with uh dr caldwell esselstyn t colin campbell and a few other like leading you know, uh, michael Greger. and i remember i was having lunch with t colin campbell and dr caldwell esselstyn and i asked them i said you guys you know did a ton of school you know to be to to get the degrees that you have and become you know to get to where you are today how much time did you spend Studying nutrition in school. And uh, Dr. Campbell said about three hours and it wasn't nutrition. It was like the food pyramid.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and- so
1: medical school isn't teaching it, so they don't, they don't know it either. Again, right. these are victims of a, a, a flawed system as well.
0: Yes. So you said Dr. Campbell, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, he's actually not an MD. He's a, uh, Right, am right. I right? He's a he's a Ph.D. nutritional right. so, researcher. The
1: China study, and what I what I love about Dr. Campbell, what what I found so interesting is that when he was doing the China study, which became the most comprehensive study on nutrition ever done, and mm-hmm. proved that you know at a certain level, you know, I believe it's over twenty grams of pro- animal protein, we activate cancer causing cells. Mm-hmm. He. His, his original plan for doing the China study was to prove that humans can and should be eating more meat. That's what he went out there to prove. That was my cat, sorry. That's, that's <laughs> what he went out there to prove. And because he was a real scientist who took an objective approach and wasn't conclusion shopping, he said, oh, no. In fact, we shouldn't be eating this at all. Look, above 20 grams of protein, it activates cancer cells and, right. and cancer-causing genes. But however, plant protein Turns those genes off, mhm, and so even though it was, he went out there to try and prove that we should be eating more meat, he was able to say no and and it's, he changed i mean like I think he deserves a Nobel prize in my opinion uh it's 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 in it's something that more people should be talking about and
0: absolutely yeah. and and it was it was forty just over forty years ago that that he actually proved in in a laboratory how cancer cells thrive on animal protein and die from plant protein. And f- forty years ago, and we've we've known this for forty years, and 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 it hasn't been hasn't been enough yet.
1: We we have a very we have a very big. It's a great struggle that we're up against. We're up against a much larger uh, group than we are. You know, I don't want to call them my enemy. Um, they have a lot more money than we do, they have a lot more power than we do. But and I understand the the need for creating policy change and things, but and I may be jaded on my views of politicians. Okay. (laughs) But in my opinion, politicians are more leaders than are more followers than leaders, most of them. And what I mean by that is is that they will follow votes. So until they have a, a enough votes on a subject they won't they won't champion it not in any meaningful way we all know that you know Cory Booker is vegan but it wasn't until recently that he did any sort of legislature for animal for animal rights right until there's enough support in terms of votes policy won't change because politicians Mm -hmm. won't implement it because it's not politically viable for them yes so while we are up against very difficult you know very difficult opponent uh, in terms of lobbyist groups and things. I don't live in my government, and I don't live in my institutions, and neither do you. Uh, and I don't answer to inevitabilities, and neither do you. And so we if we get enough people to realize what's happening and on our side, then we can have more political support. That's just my opinion. You know, Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know.
0: And if I, well, am, that- if I am, then I am. <laughs> You know what, and I, I'm I'm right there with you, and I I could be wrong too. I it wouldn't be the first time in my life right. that I'd be wrong, yeah. but uh, it and that's that's part of our work. So we're our work is focused on the grassroots ambassadors of of the movements because it is from the ground up because that's how we can affect it, and and to to let pol- to be to have more of us so that the politicians can notice it, you know, and certainly. One of my favorite examples is how is is about plant based milk, and how plant based milk uh, because of plant based milk, one of the largest milk producer went Chapter thirteen bankrupt a couple three years ago. Yeah, the, and, two, largest, the
1: two largest in the United States have now gone bankrupt.
0: Yeah, it's um, great. Yeah, right. So, and that's where our power is. Then is our power yeah, exactly. is is as a community of consumers to to really exercise our personal power to make the choices that are serving us so the true choices that serve us serve serve us in our compassion serve us in our caring because we care about other people we care about the animals we care about the planet so so being empowered to take care of the things that are important and and then and then we can really affect change and and that's that's our mission. Our mission is to come from a grassroots perspective and 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 spread the word by with examples, spread the word with having the empowered conversations. And I love I love what you're bringing to the table about about it is about love. It's it's not about pushing people away. It's about being able to have a loving conversation, a caring it conversation and to be able to come from a place where we do truly understand that they're not our enemy, but, but they yeah. just, they're on their way.
1: And, and, I'm, and I don't want to say that certain political changes aren't possible. Um, you know, I, I was part, I spoke at the state Capitol a few times. I was part of the, uh, the fur ban legislature in, in California, where we banned the manufacture and sale of fur in the state of California. And, This is what's, you know, while it can be very frustrating and what, you know, the road, the battle that we have in terms of creating change can seem like, you know, you can get discouraged, right? Uh, If someone had asked me a year before that if I thought we would ever ban the sale and manufacture for an entire state, I might have said, yeah, maybe in 20 years or so, right? But we did it, we we did it the next year. It's like um, if someone had asked the Wright brothers after their first flight, do you think we'll ever land on the moon? They probably would have said no or, yeah, maybe in a million years because our planes made out of bicycle parts. You know? <laughs> but it was it was less than 60 years later that we landed on the moon. Yes. You know, it's just change. Change can happen much quicker than we than we anticipate much quicker than we believe. But it's important to understand that we do have to accept the pace that change is taking. Right. It doesn't mean that we can't influence it. Like we but we would all love to go to the gym once one time and have the body that we want and the the, the fitness that we want. Right. We would love that. Um, but it doesn't work that way. We have to put in the work and there are things that we can do to improve and increase our, our gains and, and, and like how quickly we can get there, but there's still a limit to our progress. And that's where you, that's where we have to say, I have to accept what it is and be willing to put in the work.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes acceptance is, is really important because without acceptance we cannot have compassion
1: and we, I, I, I was speaking with uh ocean robbins who's uh you know uh, baskin robbins he's the grandson or the son of you know he he was going to inherit the baskin robbins fortune and he said no i don't want i don't want it. he's vegan i don't want to do that um and he said something that i loved he's you know he has uh, friends who have kids that aren't vegan, even though they're they are vegan but their kids are not, and they're struggling with it and they're scared for their kids, and they asked him his advice, what should I do? He said, first <clears throat> just say to your, your kids or say to your friend, whoever it is, I love you more than I hate your choices.
0: Mm.
1: Right. And I want you uh, I want to help you start making choices and empowering you to make your own choices that you think are best choices that you can make for your your overall health and your and create the most positive long-term outcome. And whatever those are for you, I accept what they are for you. And even if I disagree with them and I strongly dislike them, I still love you. And I love you more than I
0: dislike them. That's beautiful. That's really powerful. And that that's something yeah. we can we can do more. What a safe
1: space that creates for that person.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, what a safe space that creates for that person to be honest. Yes. To say that, you know, you're not gonna try and fix me. You don't think there's something wrong with me and that whether I'm eating animals or not or whether i'm a, I struggle with addiction or not or depression or not, that uh you value me that that's what everyone should be that's what everyone should be able to hear and experience
0: absolutely and that's the platform to be able to have a good conversation from is it, to est- establish that that love establish the foundation of Of love of communication, of understanding, that's beautiful yeah, all right well, um we're we have a minute or two left is Is there anything else that you'd like to add in parting right. here?
1: If you want <clears throat> sorry, Moby's newest documentary, punk rock vegan, which is about yes the history of <clears throat> straight edge punk rock in the 60s and the vegan and vegetarian messaging, animalized messaging that came out of it. And Moby doesn't want it to be just for people who can afford content. So he's giving it away for free and you can watch it on his YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, I was honored that he asked me to shoot most of the animal footage in, in the movie. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I encourage you guys just to go and check it out See, you know, if you wanna learn about I grew up on pop punk, I didn't know much about actual punk, I grew up with like Green Day and Blink-182 so I didn't know much about like the bad brains and, and things like that and so it was interesting, it was very cool to learn about that and how I had no idea because to me, like that kind of punk was like Sex Pistols, where they would like just, throw were crazy and like punching people in concerts and stuff like that, I didn't know that all this love and, and kindness and compassion was coming out of it, so yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, and Marakita says thank you for for the wonderful conversation. I'm very touched and inspired. And I and you. I yeah, so thank you, Marquita, and, and thank you for Marquita was was also involved with making this this all happen. She's I owe her the introduction. I'm I appreciate I really appreciate you coming into my life, Bobby, and I look forward to to doing so much more together as as we grow the community, as we, we create a community to help amplify everybody's voices so that together we can raise the energy, the frequency, the love and the impact and the influence that we all can have.
1: Yeah, and I just remember, if for no other reason, be kind because it's humanly possible.
0: Absolutely. That's beautiful. And Brett, thank you for your comment. Uh, so glad to hear that you're learning much, and please stay tuned and and return again. And uh, and YouTube, Abby, I look forward to your your returning and 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 contributing so much. Uh, yeah, thank you with the, for that. And I think we're at the top of the hour. Uh, Lori says, "Fabulous presentation." Oh,
1: I'll you. be
0: watching it again. To capture even more of your okay. gems, and and let's see here's somebody else is saying receive some needed reminders today. Well, thank you, Facebook user, <laughs> and yeah. yeah, thank thank you so thank you everybody, and uh, and I'd like to sign off with uh, with the uh, secret vegan handshake that I learned from climate healers, and that's Namaste Vegan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, All right.
0: All right. Thank you, everybody, and uh, and so long. See you next week. Bye bye.